Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Dreams to Reality podcast. And today, it is over Zoom, unfortunately, but we have a legend on here and actually somebody who um, who probably didn't know who I was until earlier this month. But I listen to Mike Wright just on a regular basis just because of the the wordplay and the things he talks about is very um, relatable to me. I do want to quickly say that Today is not scripted whatsoever, bro. I want to chuck some questions at you just because from a fan and also um, some of the things you talk about. But I do want to say this, guys, if you don't have time to kind of watch this video, I know how life is. You can always watch it on or listen to it on Apple Podcasts and also Spotify as well. You will not want to miss this. With that said, Mike Righteous, how are we doing, my friend? Yes, very good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And how, yeah, is life, yeah, how is life in lockdown for you right now? Life in isolation. I think isolation is good for any of us, to be fair. I don't think I think there's some positives that can be taken from it. I think there's some negatives that can come with it. And I guess that's the battle. That's part of life, the battle of life, you know, trying to find yeah. the, the balance. And it's also about knowing the benefits of sort of conquering um you're overcoming yourself during those times when you feel most negative so isolation can teach you teach you quite a lot about yourself and i think it's why sometimes we go through a life sometimes we go through our lives trying to yeah. avoid being alone with our ourselves but um yeah. i always i always think a very important moment in our lives is that period of time just before we go to sleep and it is just us and we have that five minutes of thinking before our mind shuts off and then we have to account for our own actions and behavior that day we have mm. to account for our we have to we know only you only you know and that that person inside you knows um is that how... true though or is that only because you have so much kind of i mean for for the work you do you have so much self-awareness. I think sometimes people don't even have that level of awareness. You know, they could be 50, 60 years old and they still point the finger and blame everybody else. Do you think everybody has that level of self-awareness? For example, you said that five minutes before you go to bed. I honestly feel some people don't even reflect. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit of a, for me, being self-aware is about knowing yourself and by knowing yourself knowing others it works yeah, uh, sort of hand in hand it's it's one in the same so if you was to be in being being conscious of how you feel in situations it gives it puts you in a in a in a in a stronger position because you can sort of sympathize and resonate and relate to other people's situations a lot more because you get this sense of like, I mean, I'll see someone in a situation, they'll tell me about their story. And sometimes it could bring me to tears because I could really feel myself in that situation. Like I could really put myself in that person's shoes. And that's only because I'm aware myself how, of how I'd feel if that was me. Mm. So becoming self-aware allows you to actually so become closer to, to others. And I've, in the last two years of my life, going down this journey of um, self-exploration, I think what that's done is that's, that's made me a lot more humble, for one, and for two, 
understanding towards everyone else's situations. Whereas before, sometimes someone would do something and I'd be, I just wouldn't understand it or I, I, I just don't know. And then on the same hand, you have that ideology of like, I feel like lonely and it, and it feels just like I'm the only person in the world that's going through this. You know what I mean? Mm. Whereas once you start becoming a little more self-aware, you start realising that, oh, we're all crabs in a bucket. Damn, bro. So talking about your music, you obviously, you mention a lot of people around you, right? Personal people around you. Talking about how they're feeling. You're, you're putting yourself in a position where you could upset people with the truth or at least your kind of side of it or your perception of the truth. And the reason why I ask that is because with what I do, obviously talking to going around, speaking to many groups, obviously I'm, I do videos and stuff. I've upset um, a few people in my family because I've started to talk the truth and, and it's not liked. Um, how have you found that? Have you had kind of experiences where you said stuff and it's kind of came back yeah. to you on a personal level because you're Loads doing it? Times, so many times, bro. So many times. Um, I've, I've, does that stop firstly, does that stop you from rapping about what you want to rap about? Or do you still do it anyway? how do you overcome that? Like, talk to me. Cause that's a well, real there's various, there's various levels to it. I could just be writing a tweet and think, Hmm, who's going to get upset by this? Who's going to read this? How's this going to affect someone? And how important is this for me to say? And like, I, and I think if it's something um, yeah. as crucial as telling the truth about a family member who doesn't want to accept their own um, situation. Mm. I think it's one of the best things you could possibly do. Some of my best friends are my biggest, are my worst critics. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's why they're my best friends because they'll, they're not a yes man. They're not someone that will sit around me and just say, yo, Mike, that bar was so hard. Oh my. Mm. They'll say, I think you could do better or I think that's, that could change. And I need those people in my life. So I would like to, I would like to be that person that I'd need for me, for other people. It, and, it, and it says more about the person and identifying with their issues. So if you was to raise their own awareness to an issue that they're confronting and they was to immediately react with, um, some sort of, you know, defense or denial. Eventually it's down for them going back to what we said, when we go and rest our head on the pillow at night, they will know deep down that he's got a point. in their heart, he's they were wrong. Yeah. And it's the, and the truth is if they cut you off for a, for a month or two months or a week or two weeks, it doesn't matter to me because I know I did what was right. It was the sacrifice. For me being right, and doing the right thing is as simple as following your gut and knowing in your heart, like that was right. And also knowing in your heart that was wrong. Knowing when you can say, okay, that don't feel right. It usually isn't, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when you're telling a, it, when you're, when you're talking and you're speaking openly, especially when it involves other people, you know, when it's right, and you know when you might be crossing some boundaries um, and it's about whether them boundaries need to be crossed. And there's ways of delivering messages as well. And I've learned this recently. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's so many numerous ways we can deliver our messages 
um, and it's about finding the best way and, and, and knowing knowing who we're dealing with. Mm. And I've told a lot of people's stories, man. Some with permission, some without permission. I've told a lot of, I've spoke about uh, the, some of the domestic violence that's been in my household where I was raised around and I witnessed. And it's not, you know, sometimes I feel like a bit of a snitch. You know what I mean? Like yeah. but, but I know the greater good that it's having. I know the, I know the profound effect and I know that when, Mm. when the message is being delivered it's sort of in a way going through me rather than out of me you know what i mean i i more see myself as like a, a vessel doing some sort of service and that's my purpose here and if i offend you i'm sorry but i know i have the greatest of intentions that's so and good man i pride myself on being a good person so i'd like to know that i'm I'm trying to, I'm doing my best and I'm being as truthful as possible. And I believe that I'm being as truthful as possible and I'm trying to do the right thing. And yeah. Uh, For example, yeah. when you're just saying that, it reminds me of, um, you know, the comedian slash kind of actor, Tracy Morgan. He was on the, the Breakfast Club and I think it was DJ, what was it, Envy? I asked him, he said, do you enjoy what you do? And he said, it doesn't matter whether I enjoy it. I'm the vehicle to deliver what I do. And he said, it's not about me. It's bigger than me. Um, yeah. And... Talk to me then quickly about little, not about detail, but your upbringing, your mum, your dad, um, your siblings. Yeah, I had a pretty, I had a pretty rough upbringing. Um, I mean, I haven't convinced myself I have, I've had it worse than everyone else, but yeah. it's, it was, it was pretty tough. And um, part of me, part of me forgives everybody and forgives everything, and and and. Ref, re, Sorry. Um, part of me doesn't want to resist and sort of lets life do its thing with me. Um, and I know I had to go through all of that to get here. So looking in the mirror now, being proud of who I am is a great feeling. Mm. And I wouldn't be able to have that if I wasn't the, if I hadn't had the experiences I had. But yeah, growing up, I was in a... Um, I grew up in uh, a two-bedroom flat with my mother and my father and my brother and my, my sisters and my brothers. So I got a, a, I'm the youngest of all of my family. I was the last to be born. And I have, a, I have my sister Shahzad, my older brother Farzad. This is in order. Um, I have another brother older than him, Vahid. And then we have Mohammed. Farad and Murdoch so we have sort of six brothers so they were all kind of Murdoch and Muhammad, uh, Murdoch and Far Farad's the oldest so you had Farad and Murdoch who were like came out so they're closest you mm. had Bahid and Muhammad so they were sort of closest age-wise then you had Farzad and Shahzad and they were kind of closest age-wise and then you just sort of had me on the end yeah so I was I was close to everyone everyone saw me as like the baby and like looked after me and that but I had all of their experiences to grow up taking in that as well. So I had to witness a lot. My mother wasn't really around in the beginning of my life and the experiences, uh, the memories that I have uh, are just of like physical abuse, mental abuse, <laughs> like uh, moving here, moving there, running off to a women's refuge, um, police raiding the house, my dad and my mum fighting, drug abuse, um, and it was just constant, like... So was you raised in Margate, was it? Yeah, I was born and raised in Margate, yeah. My family... I, so 
I told you about my siblings. Me, uh, me, my sister and my brother, the three youngest, were actually born here. The rest were born in Iran and brought over here during the Iranian Revolution. My dad had to move out the country. So he also had a very troubled life growing up. And so did my mother. She was um, she was exposed to like. She was exposed to a lot of dangerous people at a very young age who done a lot of bad things to her. In, and in my dad, yeah, my mother and my dad sort of plucked her out of a life of like uh, fear and like tyranny and sort of took took him with her and them two like ran away together. And, oh, yeah. and I think it was one of them, one of them sort of one of them sort of relationships where it's just gone so far that you can't, you don't really see an end to it. So, yeah. So, um, but then as, as, I, as I was, a as a child, like I spent a little bit of time with my mother and then her and my dad split up and I didn't really see her again. Then my, um, my dad got put into jail. A lot of my family were put into prison at a particular point in my life. Like when I was young, mm. um, but then one of my brothers focused, knuckled down, didn't hang around the, like outside, dedicated himself to his craft, pardon me. And then he became a WBU world title holder, like a world champion in yeah. boxing. And, and I got to see that. I got to see that you can come from here and become a champion, like a literal champion. I, 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 I used to stare at the, the, the world titles in the, in the cu cu cupboard that we had at home and and it was there every day. I get to walk past that. I get to see him train. And I'd, I'd visit them moments in my mind and think, it doesn't matter about the pain and the suffering because that's what drove him to become a champion in his field. And that's what drove me to become uh, what I'd consider myself as like a champion in my own field. So, yeah, um, it, was, it was pretty rough. It was pretty rough. But I'm, like I say, I haven't convinced myself that I've had it the worst. But yeah. And there's so many, there's so many little details. Um, how, how, how old are you now, then? At the moment, I'm 30. I'm going to be 31 in May. Is it? I'm I'm 30 this year, right? There's there's been times this year something would just flash back from my memory, and I'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that now, which I never remember before. It's it's, it's kind of really bizarre. Um, what's quite annoying. <laughs> When I'm interviewing people, um, I always, when not today, it's not happened today, but when somebody's like talking, I'm like, mm, interesting. And it reminds me of the song you did before, right? <laughs> I swear to God, I'm like, mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And, and when you said it, I thought of it as well. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm like, I always do it. It always kind of reminds me of that. And then, yeah, sorry. Um, anyway, you talked about your brother, talked about him getting into a craft. One thing that fascinates me about yourself and your music and stuff is how serious you take it as a craft, right? How good you are is not, the, the lyrics, it's crazy, right? You really dive into it. Did that happen? Is that just talent? Do you really focus on it? I think something, I think you said in your recent SBTV um, freestyle, you said this is something you do every night. It's something you take serious every single night. 
Um, even if it's not every night, do you have to practice? How do you improve and how do you develop? So you're not the same person or the same Mike you were, say, nine, 10 years ago when you first was on fire in the booth in SBTV then. Do you really dive into that craft? Well, I honestly think that we underestimate our own capabilities and our, our and the capacities of our mo our own minds are so powerful that if we dedicate ourselves to something and we really go into it and we spend every day working at that thing, you'll become a master at that. Of course, and you'll be a master at it forever. <laughs> you could you could become a master at skipping. And give it a rest for a few months, but you became the master you are. So anytime you pick up that rope, you're gonna skip like incredibly. It doesn't matter how long you haven't skipped for. They like, say the hard. They say the harder you work, the lazier you become. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. But the, here's the thing with the rapping. Like when I first started, I didn't have much social skills, and I was I was in a situation in an environment where I wanted friends and I wanted attention because I lacked it growing up. At one point. In my teenage years, a lot of my brothers were in prison. A lot of them, a lot, my dad was doing his own thing. Um, and I was just on my own. I was on my own and I wasn't developing social skills. I didn't have friends and I wasn't doing good in school. And because I was on my own, I wasn't really going to school because no one was there telling me, get up, get dressed, get to school. Like I wasn't going. And then Norm was at school saying, where's the kid? Where's your kid? Yeah. <laughs> Where is he? So it just made me think, <laughs> does, does, does anyone really care? Hmm. And then I'm sat at home wanting this attention and craving friends. And everyone loved rap music. I loved rap music growing up. That was like the thing. Like I got introduced to it in primary school. I was listening to D12 in primary school. So there was a that was the thing. That was what made you cool. Like that's what made, you know, that was what, that's what was considered cool. So. D12. Once I started, That's once I started memories. showing people That's that I could memories, man. D twelve. Once I could show people that I could rap along to other songs, I noticed the attention I was getting, and I was like, "Yo, I'm getting attention off the back of this." And I noticed the the better I was getting, the more attention I was getting. Mm -hmm. And I think it created like um, a cycle of like, "Oh, now I've got friends. Oh, now I've got food. Oh, now I've got fans. Mm. Oh, now I'm getting money." so it's just the thing of like it just kept going it just kept going and i loved making songs and and when i made my first song and i came out the studio i had moments where i sat there with my friends and i i thought i'd never get to this space or i'd never be with this person or i'd never get to meet that person and i've done so many of these things that i'd grow up thinking i'd never be able to do but always wanting to achieve and then seeing it happen before me was like always sending me back to the studio sending me back to the pad and i've always had this idea that like when i write i want to be i want to be in a zone where i feel spiritual like i feel like there's something else channeling i'm channeling that something else here and it's deeper than just me putting words into the ethos like i want to capture feelings i don't want to make music i want to make i want to capture feelings and i want people to hear the feeling and feel it mm. and that's one thing i heard uh, i was watching reaction videos the other day in my spare time and that's one thing that stuck with me is one of the guys reacting <laughs> to my video yeah. was saying there's something about mike that i don't think i get with other artists and when he says something i, I kind of i don't know why but i just 
feel it. I just feel that it's what he's saying. And I think that comes with just like, if I don't feel it, then I generally don't do it. Unless I just want to like spaz out on a beat and, and do a madness. Like that's always fun as well. But my last project, for instance, like it was mainly based around capturing what my emotions at that particular point. And they were running high at that time. So it was... When did you write that album? I wrote that album at the beginning of 2019. Actually, in the middle of 2019, around May 2019. Actually, August 2019, I wrote that album. And then I finished it in, and it released in June the 8th. Mm. Bro, the song Lost on there is incredible. And a song that just, I think I sent it to you. I think I was driving to like Ipswich or somewhere from Bristol. And I was just listening to it over and over again. Um, because yeah, and I think what you've got on there just is so so relatable, man. Um, we get onto the we get onto the album though. I think the first time I ever seen you looking now was eight years ago. I thought it was a bit longer, but um the freestyle on SBTV when you're sat in a car. Like that, mm-hmm. that was that was obviously a while ago, and then I was follow I've been following you kind of ever since then. Um but around that time, I really kind of started to watch so so many of your um, so many of your videos, your your music a lot. Tell me if I'm wrong. Have you always been independent? Because I remember going onto your website back then, and you was always kind of pushing something. You was always kind of selling something. Have you always re- remained independent? Like what? What? Yeah. What's going on there? Early in early in the beginning of my career. Um, it was a case of just wanting to get recognition, just wanting to get pulled through to the forefront of the rap race. So I wasn't really concerned with anything other than getting there. So it was sort of by any means necessary and I needed all the help I could get. So we were independent, but obviously I didn't have my own finances and I was being financed just by a friend of mine. Okay. Who'd lend me a hundred pounds to get to London, would sit up in the studio and he was also my manager, but, uh, the, uh, but but before that, he was just my friend and he would always be my friend. And that's why I chose him as my manager, because mainly we had a trusting relationship. But I was young. I wasn't a man myself. I didn't know how to how the business functioned. And I'm not sure he knew too much about the bit, how the business functioned, but he, he knew how to make money. So he was he, he knew how to make money. He could see this thing working and he knew I had talent and he wanted to help. So God bless him. And it, we took that so far. And then I signed my first publishing deal. Uh, we, we took that um, up until we done like three mixtapes. done a mixtape called Yob Culture and a mixtape called Campaign and another mixtape called Wasn't Thinking. These three mixtapes we put out for free. I didn't make a penny off. So, yeah, we was independent, but we knew that we had to give to get back. You know, we get out what we put in. So I put out a bunch of free music thinking this will this will come back sort of tenfold and it did like the respect we were getting for just putting out stuff and not expecting anything back just drew more attention to us and then I released my first EP as an independent and sold it which was open mic which is a couple of tracks and then off the back of that I did get a deal which was a publishing deal with Sony and I signed a deal with Naughty Boy and then I spent two years writing songs for artists that uh, were on Sony's label with him. Boy. And then I didn't really put out music for a little while and in the meantime I was 
getting a bit um getting a bit depressed myself because I was in the studio doing a lot of work for other people wasn't really being credited wasn't really earning much money off it myself and and it, mentally I think we was all in quite a bad place like me and the artists I was working with like there was a lot of it was very dark and there was there was drugs involved and yeah we didn't respect our health our physical health and that's probably why my mental health was deteriorating and then I sort of it came to like arguments and a lot of arguments and a lot of stuff happened between me and the label. I, 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 I was, I leaked some music that I shouldn't have put out and then severed all ties. And then I was back on my own again. It was back to being independent. And I got, how did that feel? To be honest, it felt like it didn't feel too bad at the time because I was still riding quite a buzz but, how was um, how was you for money at this time as well? I was living in my sister's bungalow. I didn't have no money. Uh, I was I was at one point selling wherever I could to get by, and I was I was doing a lot of bad things to get by, and I wasn't proud of it. So is that but, hard? is it hard somewhat being famous, being Mike Righteous, and then also being broke at the same time? Right? I bet. Yeah, that's- because I would hide. I would be in. A, I'd go collect my gyro and hide, have to hide my face. And my area is so small and uh, I'd, I couldn't pretend. I had to get the bus. I couldn't pretend. I had to go places. People would see me on the bus and then uh, like film me on the bus and that and post me on Facebook and people would say like, and then I'd have an argument with my baby mum and she'd send me the post like, oh, you're a joke. Like people think you're a joke. And I'd have to, words are weapons. You know what I mean? That, that, that very deep in my mind. And I guess like, for me, the more I cared about money, the less I got it. <laughs> and then when I actually see the thing is, I always loved making music and I always had my, my guys that would help support me. So like when I, when I left the label and um, I still had my friend who was willing to like help and invest in me. And then at this point, like when I did get money from music, I just use it to pay him back. So I wasn't, I was always like sort of breaking even I'd borrow, I'd be in like a thousand pounds debt. And then when I'd get like a little check from a show or something, I'd give it back to him, allowing me to do more things in the future. So I spent, I, 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 I sort of, um, I made some new friends, some new producers, some guys that are incredibly talented. And I worked with a few different independent producers and it took me about three years of, of borrowing money from Jack and then doing little bits to pay him back. And we made my first debut album, which was Dreamland. We, we produced it, we mastered it, we mixed it, we produced videos for it. We had money for advertising and we were just on the precipice of releasing the album. And at this point, at this point when we're, we have the product and it's like, hey, we can drop this now. We can drop this tomorrow. We can release this this week. Let's go. At that point, I was in about £15,000 debt with my friend who I was just borrowing money off. It was just racking up. And um, we, weren't, we, weren't, we weren't amazingly, we weren't super confident that we were going to make all this money back. And at that period of time, we did have support. And um, it was at that point in time I signed the Masters away. 
I, I signed away 50% of the masters of dreamland to Charlie Sloth and Charlie Sloth turned around and reimbursed my manager at the time. What does that, that mean? Got... What does that mean? What, what, what does that all mean? Sign the masters away. Basically the album dreamland, uh, I sold 50% of it away. I gave 50% of it. I sold the rights to it. I gave the masters to Sony. So in a, in a record deal, I produce, let's say I sign an album deal. You're a record label. Mm. You sign me, you give me one album. I give you the album, you produce it, you fund it, you do everything. You give me all the money that I need to make it. Mm. Let's say you give me an advance. Here's, here's your hundred thousand pound advance, Mike Righteous. Okay. I've got a hundred thousand pounds. I've got to make you an album and that's your album. Ain't mine no more. It's yours. You make all the money off it. You depending on how much of the percentage I signed away 50% of the royalties, but you have to recoup your money first before I get to see a penny. You know what I mean? But what, what is a normal kind of deal? Say if you was signed, I guess it would be a lot lower. You would own a lot less percentage, right? 50% in the, is it? Well, this is 50? the first deal. This was the first deal I signed and I wasn't too fussed about the percentage because my guy was getting paid back and it was more about what Charlie Sloth could bring to the table. Like I got Charlie Sloth here in front of me talking about, we're getting you on this track, that track. I'm going to bust you into this circle. Like, and at that point, like I, I burnt a lot of bridges and I could do with, uh, with, I had like, I had like half a leg in the industry, like, and it was slowly becoming just a foot. So I needed to sort of get, I felt like I needed to get dragged back because this is a game of like, this is sort of like a game of like, who loves you the most? You know what I mean? You got to, it's about, it's about who, not who you know, but who wants to know you. And at that time, no one really wanted to know me because I was doing a lot of mad shit. I was, like you say, like I was, I was, I was offending a lot of people with the things I was saying. Mm, yeah, like, and, and, it, and it was always worse when I said it because I was like, how dare this guy from Margate come and speak on our scene? Like, it was a very London thing. It was like, don't let this guy from Margate who thinks he can rap better than us tell us about ourselves. Like, fuck him off. What but, was that, um, that one cypher you was in though, man? Uh, you could see the tension around me. Like, you could oh, see nobody wanted me there. You threw the mic and then uh, everyone's looking around just trying to play it off. But, bro, you, you look like um, a maverick in that moment. You know, you look like a maverick in that moment. And I think you separated yourself in a, in a skill-based level, mate. In a, like, honestly, in a skill level, you separated yourself. And for me... Yeah, I, appreciate, like I appreciate I appreciate, that. But that, is, for me, is one of my most critical performances. I look back on that performance and I've watched it a couple of times. I ain't seen it for years, but for me, like, I look at that guy there and I think, you need help. <laughs> I look at that guy and I think, you need love. You're on, you need to love yourself. You need to work on yourself like it's all good wanting to be the greatest rapper in the room and you want like you're striving in for something but that's not real that is not going to make me happy and it never was going to make me happy and it was it all it did was make me angry and make me bitter and make me annoyed and make me sad and i've never had more success than i am having now in my own personal life and my own personal journey because that stuff to me is just not as important now. It just doesn't matter to me. Like I'd rather, I'd rather 
Man's the big 3-0 now. <laughs> you know, I'd rather get through to one person than just entertain a million of them. I'd rather just get through to someone and have a profound effect on their life than, than just... just. Why was there so much tension, though? I think energy is a big part of it. Like, I, I, I came there with something to prove, of like a chip on my shoulder and... And um, I had this attitude of, you don't have to like me or love me, but you will respect me. Like you will, you will have to be forced to accept that I am like the top here. I'm, I'm on top. Like none of you are challenging me when it comes to lyricism and, and coming, Okay. So coming away from there, did you feel like you accomplished that mission on that day, for example? Not really, no. I don't think I did, no. I don't think, I don't think, I think people came away from there just more like, um, I think I fed into the narrative of me being quite angry. Mm. And um, all I wanted to do was sort of detach myself from that. So it was sort of like a, a weird way of doing it, like, to be honest. Cut the mic as well. Then at the same time, I was sort of feeding into the things that people were saying about me. I was sort of becoming my own thoughts, like, and uh, that voice in my head, I was becoming that voice. I was becoming the thing that I didn't want to be, but people just saw me as. And um, have you ever then been around, say, that cipher and uh, being in the industry, as you said, with like one leg in? Have you ever considered kind of selling out, whatever that means? Have you ever con considered trying to? just go after the money and doing whatever people are telling you, I guess, because you started to obviously get attention. Your name is well recognized. So then I guess there's probably different levels, right? Is there a moment in time when you thought, do you know what? Let's just go all in. For I'm always, I'm, uh, I honestly, I'm always thinking about what I can do to broaden my horizons and, and widen my fan base. But at the same time, I don't want to compromise what they see me as and who I am in order to do that. Mm. Um, but then I also pride myself on being versatile and, and being able to, to get through to many different people. Not everyone can hear a song like Gone and resonate with it because there's so much in it. I do understand simplicity sometimes is easier to get away with. So I do like the idea of simplifying things and making things sometimes shorter and easier to digest. Um, but in terms of like, just doing something for the sake of it or doing something because it's current or doing something that my heart's not in, but I know it's going to make money or, or becoming like a, a baby shark guy. Like, no, thank you. Like I'm, I'm good. Thanks. You know what I mean? That's not the legacy I want to leave behind. I mean, I sit here with my producer and we sit here and we make these albums and they take long and they make us a little bit of money, not much money, but enough to live. And we do sit here and think, man, one song, if we had one song, you know what I mean? But, you know, it's one of them things. I trust life. So Dreamland, to me then, bro, Dreamland, did Charlie Sloth do what he wanted to do? As he said, it get you back in circles and stuff, or did he find it hard, harder than he thought it was going to be? I, um, think, I think you're right. I think he found it a little bit more difficult than he thought it would be because Charlie Sloth's Charlie Sloth. He's a personality. He's a DJ. He's an entrepreneur. He has his own business. He has other artists. 
And when you're trying to juggle that, you need serious guys that know how to run the show. And I think the people around him operating the business also didn't have much idea about running a label. And the more I, the more time I spent with them, the, for, uh, the more uh, the less I thought they knew. But the, the more I was figuring out, the more I was finding yeah. out. So I was like learning myself. So I'm grateful for that too. But Dreamland was the first album, and then I Am Reckless was the second. I also he owns a hundred percent of them masters too. So I had to I had to move fast because in my head after Dreamland, I was like, "Yo, this ain't working." I need to sort of get out of this, but I know I'm tied into at least another di- another album and the option of a third if they really want. So I gave them I Am Reckless. And then after I Am Reckless, I said to Charlie, like, I think I'm ready to sort of leave this situation because I don't feel like I'm, I don't, without being disrespectful, like, I don't think you guys are handling it very well. Like, let me tell you for a fact, let me tell you a simple fact here. You're meant to get breakdowns and reports, sales reports mm, quarterly. Mm. So that's every four months you get a report and it's everything you've spent, everything you've earned and all the times your music's been streamed and where it's been streamed and what, and everything you've earned out of everything. That's everything, everything the label's got. And then they take their percentage, give you yours. I've been, I was signed to him for a number of like four years. When did that four end? Years. It ended 2019, beginning of 2019, January 2019, around that time. So your last fire in the booth then, um, you were still signed by him? I was still signed by him. Yeah, my last fire in the booth. And um, I feel like a reporter. <laughs> yeah, so my last, I was still signed, I was still signed to Charlie. And Charlie was great. Like I'd go meet him. He'd take me to shows. We were doing a lot. Like he would, I would be by his side. You know what I mean? He had time mm. for me and we had plans and we made it. We, 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 we made some mistakes as well, but we had, we had great plans. You know what I mean? And I was going through a lot in my life at the time. Like I was battling, I was battling suicide at that point in my life. Mm. Like I had moment. I had at the start of 2019 or at the at the start not at the start of 2019 more 2018 i was very depressed i was very very depressed i wasn't happy in the relationship i was in i felt a lot of pressure from that i again like my career that when you was had the baby as well and in- that's when i had my baby my career was on the decline my baby was in london my friends were in margate i felt torn between two lives and i just couldn't keep up with it like i couldn't i couldn't keep up with it and I was getting so depressed and so down and I thought the only thing that could save me was this music thing and I just kept telling myself it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. And then I took the um, initiative of writing a song about my own suicide. And I kept that in the locker. I never wanted to release it because I was scared of releasing it. I had a video and everything scared of releasing it. And this is probably going to be the first time I ever talk about this situation because I've never spoke about it openly. But it was a, it was an, it was, it was something I spoke about with Charlie and he and I both thought it was a good idea to take this angle, to release this song. And, and almost, almost leave it ambiguous. So people were really, so we caused a bit of worry before the, the song came. But what no one understands is 
when I wrote them tweets and I put them messages out, I was really in a vulnerable place already. And for me to think that was a good idea is a testament to where my head was at. And I think Charlie at the time just thought, this is going to make waves across the industry. People not knowing what's going on with Mike Righteous and then him coming out with this song about his own suicide and then, and then having a complete rebrand. That's what we should do from a label perspective. And I was willing to do anything just to get myself back to the, mm. and it backfired majorly, backfired majorly. Like what? it caused a shitstorm, a massive shitstorm, but not, not a positive one. And for me, it was, it made my situation worse. And then the day after I, I, I had a, I had a another moment where I walked myself to the edge of a cliff and I was stood there on the edge of a cliff and my, my, my girlfriend who was with me was crying and screaming and begging me to get down from the, from the side of the, from the side of the cliff. And I was so scared, but I knew, I, I knew, I knew that fear was going to prevent me from doing anything. I knew I couldn't get past the fear that was in front of me. And I'm so grateful that that was the case. So I came back and I'd done some, I'd done some stupid things, man. And I spoke to Sloth and Sloth was like, Mike, like this has gone a bit mad. Like, take some money, take your family and go away for a bit. And I went away for a bit. And then I came back and nothing really changed. Nothing was really changing for me. So what, and, what outcome was you looking for when you, was, when you released that song? I wanted to... And how did it backfire? I wanted to do something that was never done before. And... I wanted the world to sort of know my pain and it didn't feel great going through this. Like I wanted help. I think like I wanted people to think about me. Like I wanted the world to know like I was there. Mm. I wanted attention badly. It's deep, man. I think what happened is I wasn't really giving myself like enough time enough care i just let myself go and um i was looking for a external i was trying to outsource externally to sort of fill this void that was in me that and it just weren't happening no amount of appraisal was doing it and then it sort of the song did backfire enough i lost a lot of support and a lot of friends and a lot of people that loved me were like fuck this guy do you know what I mean? Like, he came out and he made us think that he'd killed himself. And the way they see it is, it was just to promote a track. And the way I see it, it was to promote a track. But we're talking about a track that's about suicide. We're not, when I wasn't, I wasn't using my um, illness to promote my track. I was using my track to promote my illness. <sighs> So it was kind of like that. And um, yeah, I cracked on after that. I didn't let it, I didn't let it put me down because at the same time, that song for people that were really suicidal really felt that they weren't, they were on my side. You know what I mean? And to this day, 
a lot of people will reach out to me and be like, I've, I wanted to take my life last night and someone sent me your video pathways and I never knew who you was before that. And I probably won't listen to much more of your songs. So I don't even like rap, but thank you. And for me, it doesn't matter. All that backlash, it don't matter. That one person, like uh, that song, stop that one guy from taking his own life or stop that one girl from taking her own life. So I personally would uh, relive that trauma a hundred times a day just to know that that's what's happening. And um, so, yeah. Move, moving forward to um, the, the song on your album, Lost, just even kind of, looking at the lyrics there and I mean I got myself when I'm driving singing you know like a deep bro it's deep stuff man but like when you say I look up to the sky and ask how long I live what does that essentially mean that and then (laughs) I've been in similar situations to what you're talking about and even I got a, a young family and stuff and then there's like another side where it's like I feel like I got too much to give then I also feel like I do, does that make sense? I help so many teenagers, but then I'm also going through my own kind of my own struggles and my own battles. So it's like it's, it's kind of two sides to it in a way. But life I think is- I wanted people to know that I was okay, and I think I wanted people to hear that song and sort of not worry too much about me and know that I valued my life and know that I I appreciate um, I appreciate like myself and at the same time i don't blame anyone else for what's happened mm. and I, I, I and i'm asking for forgiveness for the things i've done and i'm looking up to whatever's up there the space the universe the, yeah. the the creator whatever it is that makes this magical thing tick like i would like to say i would like to just i'm, I'm asking like, give me some time here because, like, I'm really starting to turn this around. I'm starting to value this now. And, and like, I just need to know how long I've got here because I'm really starting to enjoy this experience for every bit of pain it is. I can see that today, man. I can just see that today. I mean, yeah. the energy you're, you're kind of sharing with us um, and the energy I feel from you is a positive kind of energy where it is kind of like we're not in control of this. What can we do? And, and it's okay. And I think sometimes, as you said, when you're so focused on money, you don't get any. And so <laughs> I think that's the problem. Like I was going through all these things and bro, and I, I wasn't making sure I was all right at the end of it. I was, I was putting myself in situations that were like volatile and, and not good for my own well-being, And then just walking off, like it was nothing. Like I wasn't actually stopping to make sure like I, I, absorbed what happened i took in what just happened to me like and that goes that back to my childhood like i never thought about things that happened to me when i was a kid like and i never actually made sure i was okay with it like and i have to revisit the darkest parts of my childhood and be like it's all right it's actually all right rocky like i go back to um times where i like I'd suffered like a lot of abuse growing up, like serious abuse. And when I, when I tried to get into relationships, I expected like a certain amount of like, I guess, love. And I put a lot into it. And if I didn't get that back, I'd 
try even harder to get it. And that would just put more people off. And what would happen is I'd be like, why don't anyone what's one, like... What's the one bar you said something like... In the most, it's something like the worst bit is like the love grew deeper. So like the the the, the worse the relationship got, the more the love grew. Like yeah, deep. uh, the deeper my feelings grew. The the, yeah. the, 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 uh, the more demeaning you became, the deeper that my feelings grew. Mm. And that's true. It, it was like that. And I, I don't blame that person either because, and then this is all part of like the making sure you're okay is making sure you're okay with it. Like when I look back now and I think about me being abused by fucking drug addicts, I think I'm I'm okay, bro. Like, look at me, man. I'm fucking flying. I've got nice he hair. Fucking, I'm working. He, he he runs twenty miles, man. <laughs> yeah, like I I can't I can't run a mile without my bottom back hurting, bro. So let's um let's jump back into it quickly. Obviously, you talked a bit about your upbringing and stuff. How many kids do you have now? I've got two. So you've got two kids? Yeah. How difficult is it being a father, being going what you've been through and trying not to repeat some of the same stuff? Because I think you talked about it um, in one of your songs and it was just deep, man. And it's like, you're talking about, you didn't want to break the cycle. You wanted to break the cycle, but then it's kind of, you know, it happened. And I think even other rappers and artists talk about it, like Drake and stuff. How 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 was that, man? Because you can't you can't fix everything, right? You can't. You can't, and you can't please everyone, and you can't control other people. You can only you can only work on your own self internally. And like I was saying, I was doing a lot of damage in my relationship. So when it came to an end, um, it was a struggle for me to take. But now, like, I wish I handled it better. But you can do a lot of shoulda, coulda, woulda. But the truth is. I just hope that person now. Uh, I hope I hope that person understands that I am. I am sorry, and I do understand that you you are, you are your own person. You're entitled to your own decisions, and you was unhappy, mm-hmm. and I was making you unhappy. So it was very right for you to want to be better, mm-hmm. and I needed to do that for myself as well. And I think being a the best version of yourself is being the greatest example. And that's all I'll try to be because these, 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 these kids, they're not my property. I don't own them. They're their own humans. Like they're growing up. I'm just trying to say, Hey, that way's fucked up. <laughs> um, but go down it if you need to, like that's if you fall, you fall, you'll fall and you might bang your knee, but, I'll be there behind you. But if you can't pick yourself up, I'll pick you up. It's more like giving them the space and allowing them to be a human and, and saying, like, I say it to my son all the time, like, you're my best friend. Like, I love being around you. I love having you around me. I learn, like, I can communicate with you. I don't mind. Like, I just, like... uh have this idea like sometimes i'm not too forceful like you'll learn from your own mistakes you have to i have to allow you to learn from your own mistakes happens all the time right when somebody's too strict they you still do it anyway i see it all the time man like with the parents i work with it could be anywhere in some of the 
the hardest kind of places or even in, you know, middle class kind of areas. Bro, we had uh, we had one girl in our family. The rest were all brothers and very strict as well. Like my brothers were a hard on her and they didn't let her out of the house till she was like 19. But when she finally got out of the house at 19, she ran amok. She went wild. She was like, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't restrict a life. Can't restrict. It's not real. yours to do that. For, you know what I mean? But I like to think that there's a boundary. There's sort of a line. And like, sometimes you have to just reel it in and be like, look, I am responsible for you. Like, of course, I don't, of course. I don't control you. I don't own you, but I'm kind of responsible. I, I'm, I brought you here. So I don't know what the um, analogy is. I think it's Osho. Um, and he talks about a flower. A flower is most beautiful when you look at it and just let it blossom. But then when you start to pick the flower, the flower dies. Um, yeah. and I think that's so strong. And I think so many people do that in relationships as well. They, they want to change the person to be what they want them to be. But it's actually... Well, now I have, this, I have this thing of like my, um, my ex or my ex-partner, and she's a great mum, but she'll call me and she'll be like, this kid's going to drive me crazy. And I'm like he don't act like this when he's with me like he never he never plays up he never like like i kind of give him you have to have give him respect like if you want him to talk to you better you have to talk to him better if you want him to not grow up and think it's okay to shout at people you can't be going around shouting at people you have to lead by the example mm. and anytime my son's in my presence like i'm fully aware i'm fully conscious i'm conscious of the language i use and that doesn't mean I come. I, I start speaking all posh in that. Like I'm conscious of the language I use, and in fact, I'm more liberated because I don't want to act like these words don't exist. I don't want him to act like I talk differently. Like I want you to hear and see me for everything I am, and realize it's it's just it's okay. You know what I mean? Like there ain't no um, there ain't no rules to being a person. Like everyone's different. So everyone is different. Yeah. So that's your uh, your son, and I, I guess you've also got a daughter, right? Listening to the album, do you yeah. have a relationship with your ex there, or is it still quite toxic? Obviously, which you talk about, um, because you can't listen to that album and not get moved by it. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah. How is that? Yeah, you? it was. Um, to be honest, like, uh, I put I, I made that song because. I had no idea when I'd see my daughter again mm. and I didn't know if anything would happen to me and I didn't want anything to happen to me like go out and get hit by a bus and my daughter have nothing so I wrote that song so I wrote that song for her and only her wow. so when she grows up she can hear it and I want her to I know it's a sad song but I want her to know like how much emotion I had for her you can't hear that song and think that person didn't love me. So it doesn't matter to me. I, I don't want to burden them. I if they're happy now, they're happy now. And if they're happier without me, then that, that girl's a great mum. She's an amazing mum. And I know that me being in the picture could, uh, me being in the picture right now, might not be the best thing for us. It's all, it's almost been a year and I'm starting to be drawn to more towards the idea of trying to reach out and get in contact. 
but at the moment, the only avenue I can take is probably a legal route. And I wouldn't want her to get a letter through the door of a solicitor saying, look, this guy's after his kid. I would like it to be a little more like I'm in a better space. I would love to spend like an hour with my daughter if that's all right with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's something that I realise is going to take time. Like she's going to be different now. She's going to have grown up. But I have, I don't worry. I don't worry one bit because I know she's in great hands. But at the same time, like I miss her a lot, man. Okay. Like I miss her a lot. That's tough, man. Yeah. Um, talk to me about, was it the summer of this year? You, you had an accident, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just funny, man. I was speaking about it to my friend the other day and it's like, only me. It, it's like, I swear, man, I turn around to my friends and I'm like, you know what? We've had a pretty rough year, guys. The album's done pretty well. I got a little bit of money. Let me take us all on holiday. Let's just go on holiday. And they were like, yeah, you know what? That's a sick idea. I said, I'll pay for our flights. Don't worry. Just get a little bit of spending money. We're going to be good. We'll get an all-inclusive place. We'll love it up. And it was just when the lockdown restrictions were being lifted, some places, of course, said, let's go to Greece. I booked the tip. And then a week later, we were in Greece and we had an amazing time in Greece, like a great few days. Mm. And um, my partner, who I'm with now, she's super like on this spiritual like journey with me. Like we're like two peas in a pod, just moving like this with each other. Um, she's not really into like extreme sports like I am. Like she's not crazy like she don't like the idea of going past like 70 on the motorway like <laughs> you know what i mean but um we were gonna go for a little exploration and we decided to uh hire some quad bikes <laughs> and we hired some quad bikes from this company and i've rode quad bikes many times like i know how to ride a quad bike my brothers have got quad bikes we got jet skis we got we live by the beach you know what i mean it, it's, it's, it's a thing like and uh I just feel I feel bad because I know that she's not the type to ride quad bikes, but it's kind of like we're going out on quad bikes. You're going to have to come and get on the back. You know what I mean? So I went downtown. I was excited. I got up early in the morning. I was like, yeah, getting my quad bike today. Getting my quad bike today, boy. I popped down, got to the place, which is like... <sighs> 50 kilometers from not 50 kilometers like 50 meters away from my hotel i go there sign my little thing i get my quad bike i get on it they tell me about the quad bike i'm like yeah cool whatever yep 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 did you have to hand over your passport yeah no i kept that no i kept that i turned around i went back to the hotel on the quad and it felt robust. Like it felt big. Like I was like, maybe it's just big and robust. And like, mm. you have, to, you came quite wide to turn. I was like, okay, this is not like any other quad bike I rode. It's a bit different. So let me take it slow. Gone back to the hotel, picked her up. And I said like, shall we go out on it now while it's early and there's no cars about to get a feel for it. And if you don't like it, we'll just mug it. You know what I mean? She was like, yeah, cool. She came, got on the back and we went one kilometer it was like, yeah, okay, we're feeling this. We pick up the speed a little bit, you know what I mean? It was a pretty much straight road. And after about one kilometer, I picked up a bit of speed and I realised that the uh, quad bike was sort of veering to the left of the road. And I was like, yo, what the fuck? This ain't right. So then I started to turn the handlebars sort of to the right, but it was still veering to the left. 
And I know I know how quad bikes work, like the steering column, but the steering column came loose. And I think the steering column, which is attached to the wheels, when that comes loose, it doesn't matter which way you steer, the wheels are gonna just go, the wheels are just gonna go with the way of the road. So I'm like, right, fuck, we need to slow down. Started slowing down. As I'm slowing down, there's an oncoming car, which is on the left. Oh. And we were just sort of veering to the left at a slowing down pace. Uh, what happened was, is I was slowing down slightly. And um, I thought, we're going to just either just miss or just clip the car. And we just clipped the car. The car slid off to the right, hit a wall. Uh, completely ripped off the car, but the couple that were in the car were completely fine. We went flying. Um, I remember hitting the floor, and my whole thing is like, don't be dead. Like, I straight away, as I was hitting the car, I was thinking, please don't die, please don't die, please don't die, please don't let her die, please don't let my girl die, please have no one die. Like, mm. just I'll lose an arm, but whatever it is, like, but don't let us die. <laughs> And I remember thinking this and I hit the car and as soon as I hit the floor, I was, I stood straight up because I was like, am I dead? <laughs> like, mm. I, you ain't dead if you stand up. So I stood up and then I looked around and I just had to think, oh no, oh no. And I, I couldn't hear Shah and I couldn't see Shah. And I was so terrified of turning around because I knew she was behind me and I didn't want to see like, I didn't want to turn around and see my girlfriend splattered across the floor. Got you. So I just froze and I just stared at the wall and I was like, until I hear her, I can't look. <laughs> and then I just heard on the floor like a Rocky. And I was like, oh, I turned around, I saw her and she was on the floor, sat up and then <laughs> she had a laceration. You hear um, she shout at you. Why are you staring at the wall? <laughs> she had a laceration around her private area. And when I, when I turned around, there was already a couple of pints of blood on the floor and she had gone bright pale. And then I went to take a step towards her and then I just crumbled. And then I thought, well, what happened? I looked at my leg and my leg was hanging out of the socket. Oh my God. My left leg was not attached to my body anymore. Um, and then I was like, fuck. I need to call Jim. So I called Jim and um, my mate and I was like, Jay, I've crashed a quad. And he was like, no way. And I was like, brother, please get here as fast as you can. Like we're in trouble. And then people started coming, passers-by started pulling over. One of them was a lifeguard and he started applying pressure to Charlotte's wound. Charlotte broke her foot. She broke, she dislocated her toes. She, fra she had two fractures in her back. And she had the laceration around her private region. And, um, yeah, basically, I remember this woman at the scene looking at me and saying, like, are you all right, sir? Are you all right? And then as she was talking to me, I'm, I'm seeing her mouth move, but it just sounded like she was 100 miles away. Mm. And then I was like, ah, oh, mate, I don't know what's happening here. And I looked down at my leg again, and this time it had gone purple, like, filled up with blood, swelled up and went purple. And I was like, oh, I don't feel good here. Like I started getting dizzy. And then I, looked, I went and laid down next to Shah. And I was like, Shah was like, oh, no. And then I held her hand. And I said, just be all right. Just be calm. Just relax. Like whatever happens needs to happen. Just, just, just be good. Just be happy and be glad. Just be good. Mm. Like whatever happens, just be happy. 
don't worry. I was like, don't panic. Just don't panic. And then um, next thing I remember, someone was throwing water in my face and then I, my eyes opened up and there was my friend, Jay, my best mate. And he was like, Rocky, 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 stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. And, he, and, I, and I was like, my eyes were open. I was like, where's Shard? And he was, she was like, he, he was like, she's over there. The ambulance are coming. The ambulance is pulling up. And my, I remember my friend saying, stay hard. Goggins, Goggins, be Goggins. He was like, Goggins it. And I was like, I was like, uh, Jay. We're going to lift these up. boats. Yeah, I was like, Jay, I was like, lift, get me up. Because I don't want the ambulance to come over and think I need attention before Shah does. I was like, get me up. Yeah. So he lifted me up. And I've sort of perched myself against the car. The ambulance came. They took me and Shay to, Shah to a hospital where they popped us all back into place, stitched us up. Um, then they took us to another hospital in another area. And then I'll tell you a bit of a miraculous story, right? This is, this is, this is, this is the universe at its best. So prior to this accident, we went out in a town called Lindos, which is like, a very popular town, like well, an ancient city and roads. And we went there. The first night we was there, we got a taxi there and the taxi driver, and we didn't, we were just in the car with him. And I remember saying to Jay, like, yo, do you think this taxi driver knows where he's going? <laughs> and I just thought the taxi driver couldn't speak English, yeah? So we're just talking like, he can't hear us. Like, do you think he knows where he's going? Jay's like, I don't know, get, get it on the maps to make sure he's going the right way. I said, like, oh, I'm getting it on the maps. And the taxi driver's like, listen, I'm English. I can speak English and I'm taking you to the right place. Don't worry. So I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, cool. I have my hair braided and that. Back to the hospital, right? After the accident, Shah, they, they stitched us up. They patched us up. They popped my leg back in, which was one of the most agonizing things I've ever experienced in my life. And even to this day, my foot can't bend. I can't bend my foot can't bend my toes they're just frozen like that all of my toes are frozen can't bend them um the doctor was like right you're okay you can go and I was like I can't go it's like that's my girlfriend I I don't even know and they were like she has to stay here for two months and I was like what <laughs> she they were like she's not moving or getting up or going anywhere or even getting off that bed for a month straight wow she cannot move for a month and I was like, my trip's meant to end in three days. Like, mm. we got to stay here for a month. I'm thinking, shit. They left me out the hospital and I was on my own in the middle of nowhere with like 10% battery and this fucked up leg. And I was just like, how has this happened? Like, after everything, like, we just wanted a break and this happened. And then the guys put me, just chucked me. I said to the, I said to the guys in the hospital, like they must get this a lot as well because they weren't really too happy or welcoming. But they get a lot of like pissed up English people go over there and cause trouble and fall off balconies. So they've dealt with it all. This ain't, this ain't a game to them. You know what I mean? So I said to the guy, the doctor, I was like, look, can you call me a taxi? And he was like, I ain't your secretary. I'm a doctor, innit? Go find your own taxi. And I was just like. Boy, this is mental. I've no gone out of the hospital. Yeah. I said to the security guard, can you call me a taxi? He called me a taxi and he said, the taxi's going to be here in an hour. And I thought, what? Oh. This is going to be the longest hour of my whole life. <laughs> Got nothing to do but reflect on what just happened. 
five minutes later, a taxi pulled up and I was like, "Raw, that was quick. And it was the taxi driver that took us down to Lindos the other night. And I was like, he was like, I recognize you. And I was like, is it? And he was like, yeah. Yeah, I recognize you. He was like, you with the girl and the guy. And I was like, yeah, that's me. That's me. And he was like, where are they? And I was like, she's in the hospital, man. I was like, she had, we had a really bad accident. And he was like, what? I was like, she can't move for a month. We're in very bad trouble. Mm. And this guy was like, nah, I'm looking after you. This taxi driver picked me up from the hospital, helped me find accommodation, came and see me every single day in the, in the villa, helped me get a hospital bed, helped me get a wheelchair, took me out for dinner. Like, the guy was just a hero. Like, him and his wife were heroes. And then I spoke to him, and he said to me, do you know why I was, did this? And I was like, why? And he was like, because I haven't worked. So the area that we got picked up from when we got taken to the fancy restaurant, when he took us there originally is in a place called Kiatari. It's real down south. But he's really like north of the island mm. where the hospital was. That's why he got to the hospital so quick because it was close to his house. Yeah. And he said, the reason like I'm helping you is because I haven't been to Kiatari for four years. I haven't done a job in Kiatari for four years. He was like, this is the first time I've ever done a job there. And it was you. Otherwise, I, I navigate around these areas. Mm. And then when I picked you up and realized it was you, like, and you told me you needed help, like I thought, like he's a Christian man. He was like, I thought I just needed to do what was right. Yeah. And he was like, you, you, he was like, he, he kept saying to me, he was like, you're a fighter, you're a fighter. And then he was like, what's your name? And I was like, my name's Rocky. And he was like, no way. And I was like, yeah. He was like, yeah. And he was like, and I was like, how come you remembered me? And he was like, because I remember thinking, when you got in my car, that you look like a rapper. And I was like, I was like, you fucking taking the piss. I was like, you do know me or something. He was like, no. And I was like, I'm a rapper. I'm an actual rapper. And he was like, what? I showed him my videos on YouTube, yeah? Which one did he'd you come down and be singing my songs and that. He'd be talking about because I love you and this and that and the other. Like. And it was just, it was just, for me, it was like, Every cloud has a silver lining, mm. you know what I mean? Like, and there was an angel watching over our souls that day, you know what I mean? Like, so the big question is, how much was your bill, bro? That was another thing as well. Like, I was in the hospital. That's the first thing I think of. Is, do you have insurance? <laughs> I didn't have insurance, bro. I didn't think I need it. I didn't think I need it. I'm so stupid. I ain't gonna lie. Like Charlotte's mum terrorized me like i bet this will make you think twice about going away and not having insurance mm. i just sold so i just put suicidal out so it was the first time i ever made money off something independently that i'd invested in myself didn't borrow money off my mate didn't borrow money off sloth i just done it myself and i and i was like ha i done it myself and it was the best album i ever made and it was the most successful one i think i'm gonna be good let me take my friends on holiday then i get hit with his bill and it's like and then on, on top of that, the guy from the quad company is calling me like, oh, yeah, oh, I, I don't care. I just want half the money for the quad. I ain't going to take you to court. And I was like, I'm going to take you to court. I'm taking you to court. And he was like, no, nah, I'm taking you to court. I was like, nah, nah. And then on top of that, the doctor said, 
you can fly home, but she needs to fly home on a stretcher. So I'm starting to think, how can I get us home with a stretcher? And I start looking at air ambulances, private planes, doctors that can accompany us and airplane airlines that will allow a stretcher on board. And the cheapest, uh, the cheapest travel home with the private doctor, with the stretcher, with the air ambulance, the cheapest I could get was like 15 grand. No, no, sorry, sorry. It was 25 grand, but I had like 15 grand that I had for my album. Mm. And at that point I was like, fuck it, I'll put all of it in there. But that still ain't enough. And not knowing that still ain't enough, scrambling, just having been hit by a car, looking at my paralyzed girlfriend, thinking, how the fuck do I get out of this foreign hospital, which has pigeons, rats, and fucking flies and blood all over the place. And I started this GoFundMe. And I was like, someone suggested to me, Mike, why don't you try and do a GoFundMe, raise some money? So I did the GoFundMe and I raised enough money. And I'm sat there with my girl and then my sister calls me. And I'm like, look, I'm, I'm getting us home. I've raised the money. I've got 15 grand. I've got my money. I'm, I'm good. I'm going to get home. And Charles had my sister was like, you, this ain't you. Like, you ain't a runaway type of guy. You're not a jump on the plane and get home so everyone can, like, merely coddle you, you know what I mean, and make you feel better. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, you're kind of right. And she was like, and you just put in all that work. And she knows that I was saving that money because if I ever did need to go to court to see my daughter again, like I had the finances there. Mm. And she said that to me, she was like, if you spend all this money now, it's going to be a while before you can see Talaya. And I was just like, I was like, you're right. And I turned to Shah, turned around to Charlotte. And I was like, like, I want to make, I thought of another plan. And she was like, what's that? And I said, we should just stay here. And she, at first she didn't understand. I was like, we're going to get out of this hospital. I'll get us a villa. I'll put a hospital, I'll hire a hospital bed and put it in the villa. So you can lay on a hospital bed there and we'll take care of you there. And we'll stay here for a month until you can walk. And then when we come, when we go home, you'll be going home on your, on, on your two feet and we're going to ride this out and we're going to stay here. And she was like, I'm, I'm down. Fuck it. I'm down. So I was like, cool. I faced a lot of backlash for the GoFundMe. I ain't going to lie. Like a lot of people seem to think that um, I just put out my album and I should just be paying for it myself. And I've got rich brothers and they should help me pay for it. But that's just not life. That's not how life works. You know what I mean? That's that's the thing though, right? Unless unless you're like, people always think you've got a lot more than what you have. And I'm very open. I kind of let it be known. Like I said to people, I've got this and I need this. So if I could raise this, great. I raised it. And then when it came down to it, I was like, look, I'm, I'm going to give you all the money back because at the end of the day, I don't need it now. I'm going to use my own money to stay here. So thank you all very much. Have the money back. And I sent everyone their money back. And a lot of the people were like, no, keep it for while you're there. Buy her a birthday present. Do whatever. And I was like, nah, man, like we're good. I, I can handle this on my own. If I need help, I'll call upon it. I'm not afraid to call to ask for help. I've never been afraid to ask for help. You don't get you don't ask. You don't get. But I just I just come up with another plan where I didn't need it. And to be honest, it worked out for the best. Like the taxi driver, Savas, he was there every day helping me. He helped me set up the bed. 
and we was going to and from the hospital so she could have her stitches removed so they could check on the improvements on her back and how her foot had healed, take the cast off her foot. And at that point, I was walking around the hospital with a busted leg myself. Like I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have even been on my leg walking. I'm looking at the pictures now. Yeah, I shouldn't have even been on my leg walking, but not only was I walking around, but I was cleaning my girlfriend's like shit and piss and showering her. And on top of that, I was going to get all the documents running up and down the hospital to try and get us flights home and trying to get x-rays and trying to speak Greek to people like mm. using Google. And then my foot actually turned purple and swelled up. And then the doctor stopped me in the hallway and was like, get on the bed and, and, and stay on the bed for a bit. Like you need to stop because we're going to have to cut your leg off. Mm. And then Charlotte was like, can you stop? The doctor said to me that I wasn't going to walk for like uh, six weeks. Two weeks later, I was running. I was running along the beach. <laughs> I was back training again. So I wasn't going. I wasn't ready to let anything like stop me from being the hero of my own life. Like it when it comes down, yeah, the level of resilience you have, man. And I think you know what you've been through. This was just another obstacle and. And it's about that grounding again, right? Stay, stay, trying to stay neutral, no positives, no negatives, right in the middle. And exactly. When you're such a high positive of your album, paying it for yourself, the success of your album. It's like, this is the world's way to try and humble you again, to bring you back down to the now. I think I needed it as well because I, was, I had that sort of like, that, that mentality of like, oh, I did it. I did the thing I wanted to accomplish. Like, I need to come up with something else now. I need a new goal. And you get a bit sad because you're like, I did the goal. I accomplished the goal. What's left? I need to what make left something. Then? Talk to me. What's left now is, um, to be honest, we're, with, this, with this pandemic and this situation and this lockdown, like, I've had to adapt with that because our whole I feel like our whole environment's changed and is changing consistently. So we have to adapt to our environments in order to survive in them. So I'm just trying to think about ways, like I'm really upset because I haven't been able to tour with this album and I just want to be on stage performing these songs to crowds. It ain't got nothing to do with the money. It's got to do with that feeling that I was after. Yo. But um, I'm, so I'm a bit excited that that ain't happening. Yeah, bro. Um, your album would bang as well in a, in in a performance setting. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, oh, I wrote it with that in mind because I wanted it. I wanted the bang. crowd to be able to sing the songs back. So many times. You yeah, trust me. Back. You know it would pop. So you know it would pop. Yeah. But so then I just have to. Do you know what? I've yeah. I've, I've I've got. I'm confident. Oh, you can. You can just see it though, can't you? Can just feel the. But that's what yeah. I mean. So I'm so confident that that will be the case no matter where down the line it goes because it's not just me in this situation, it's everyone. So when they lift the lid and we go back to doing shows and I say, hey, I know it's a bit late, but the cycle tour, I know people will still come. Uh, but um, yeah, it's just, about, it's just about doing what you can in these unprecedented times. So I'm just focusing on my own physical health um and i'm just focused on being there for my family being there for my friends and being a great leader and uh, being a great example and at the same time nothing's stopping me from being in the studio making new songs so i'm constantly here lost i've been here two days i've made new songs who does mike righteous listen to um boy on my playlist at the moment on my playlist at the moment uh it varies 
it varies a lot. But I'm always I'm always hearing new tracks and I'm thinking, oh, I like that. I'm just going to get that and listen to it. But, um, I like songs that give me a sense of triumph. So there's a lot of I, I don't really have like artists that I go to, but I'll have like particular songs and they'll be from any artist, but they'll have like a, 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 a triumphant energy about them. So when I'm running, I can just feel it. And uh, I think that's what I gravitate to when it comes to music. Like, and I feel, I feel a little less attached to rap music now because I've grown up with it all my life and I've listened to it all my life and I've studied it all my life and I'm very critical with it. So when a rapper says something, I'm like, there, just picking at it. And I think like, I need to like, sometimes it's nice just to take music in and I could go on a run and listen to a bunch of classical music. Like this morning when I woke up, I went, uh, I went online and I was on YouTube and this advert came out for this song and it had a real good energy to it. And I just straight away went and got it on my Apple music. I think it was called Bice. I think it was by a group called Bicep and the song's called glue. And it just had a really, it just reminded me of like something, someone were making the nineties, like a, a old nineties dance song. And it just like S club seven reach. No, nah, not like that. More like, more like housey sort of dance. Yeah, I got you. Like trance, like a bit trancey. It was a bit trancey. And I loved it because I was like in a trance myself, just running to it. But... Amen. All right, bro. Um, I ask all my guests this. The last question, if you could sit down with any three people, dead or alive, and it can't be, uh, has to be like a celebrity, somebody we, we would all know, can't be like- They're a... here. Oh, there, look at that. There's Bob. There's John. So there are two. Who's the third? There's Kurt. Oh, okay. I'd have Kurt in there. And to be honest, I do like Jim Morrison, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't have him. I'd probably <laughs> have like two, two pack or something. Okay. Yeah. Why? Why? Um, really, Bob Marley, because I love his beliefs and ideologies, and I just think he'd just be such a calming energy. And I would just love to sit with Bob Marley and 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 just just vibe with him on a music level, like see out because there's something about him. Like when I was, when we talk about people being that vessel and letting something spiritual travel through them, there's a there's a moment in Bob Marley's career where he just got shot, just got shot because these because the government were trying to prevent him from going out and performing because of his message of peace and love and power was uniting Africans across the world. They shot him and he had a bullet in him and he still went out there and done his show. Um, There's another moment in Bob Marley's career where he's on stage and he's performing and he's blind and he's just singing and a riot breaks out in the crowd and the police disperse the whole crowd. Bob's still on the stage with his eyes shut, just singing. You don't even know what's happened because the, the energy's going through. Um, Kurt, I think all the same reasons, really. I think Kurt Cobain is just like a, a voice and a, and a mystery and such a young, like, it's just something, someone that I'd wanted, I've always wanted to know more about. But these are just musically as well. They're all, there's loads of people that I'd love to spend some time with outside of music that I think are just incredible characters. Like I'd love to sit on a Joe Rogan podcast and talk to him. I would love to spend 48 hours with, well, I don't know if I'd love it, but I'd, I'd, I would spend 48 hours with David Goggins for sure. 
I would love uh, that. Would be my number one. You can't lift these boats. You're gonna carry the boats and the logs. Can't fuck with boats too. <laughs> yeah, it's true though, man. Like sometimes when I run down the road and I tell myself and I have these sayings that I refer to, they they pick me up. Like when that voice in my head starts being like, "What are you doing here? Why have you brought yourself twelve kilometers out in the middle of nowhere?" Like you ain't got this. And then I say to myself, yeah. "Not today." Like not today, bro. Not today, bro. That's what I tell. There's there, there's that one. I can't. I was listening to it and he said it was hot, it was hot outside, it was like hundred degrees or something. And he was running. And he said this guy come up to me, put down a window. He said, "Man, why are you out here?" He said, "I looked at him and said because you're not." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why are you running? You're crazy. Why are you running? Because you ain't motherfucker. <laughs> it's that. And it's like, they don't know you, bruv. You don't know you. You don't know your own capabilities. You know what I mean? So when I'm running and I'm feeling Goggins like, and he's shouting and he's going, they don't know me, son. He's talking to himself. He's, he's, he's drawing. He's squeezing every bit of energy he has. He's not satisfied with mediocre. He's not satisfied with just doing good enough. As he, he said on, uh, as on good a- as he can. And that's a, that's a mentality we should all adopt because doing as good as you can is fucking painful. And that's why we all try and avoid it. But it's the pain that makes you great. As he said on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast, the goal was to become uncommon amongst the uncommon. So when he joined the Navy SEALs, he was uncommon, but then he wanted to become uncommon amongst them. So the Navy SEALs looked at him like, who is this guy? And I think yeah. that's, that's madness. That's madness. But then then he starts trying to compete with like, ultra runners mm. you know what i mean just stepping into the world of ultra running races man 200 more races 250 and then on one of the 250 mile races he got lost and ended up having to do another 70 miles and still came in like 10th place actually you know he got disqualified for that race because he went the wrong way and then he came back done the race again and came second we're talking about a man that yeah. prior to all this couldn't even run two miles you know what i mean he was he was out of shape he was a big lump but yeah, man, like he's a very inspiring human being. And, and there are a lot of people out there that I think are great examples. And they carry a, a, a beautiful message. And we need heroes. Everyone needs a hero. You know what I mean? You could be your own hero. But we all need inspiration. We all need to know like our capabilities and our possibilities. And when people do great things, man, they just lay the blueprint for us to follow. And I think there's nothing that we can't do as people. You know what I mean? There's, there's really nothing we can't do. And it goes back to the very first question you asked me. It's like, I mastered it, but anyone can. Anyone that's willing to sit in their room for five years and do nothing but write lyrics will be as good as rapping as I am. And that's what it takes, dedication and consistency and hard work and pain. And I was speaking to my brother this morning and he was like, I love a bit of pain. I need to go out and, and find a good old bit of pain because I ain't had it enough in a while. And I thought, yeah, man, sometimes you have to just welcome it with some open arms. And that's where I'm at in life. Anyway, man, I just want to say a massive thank you for your time i would say where can people find you but the truth is they're not going to type it in off the off the podcast so what i'll do is i'll link it all in the description um yeah. but bro deep man i think we we touched on so many different 
topics there and hopefully I've done a done your fans and my fans justice about hearing your story. Well, I, 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 I don't do these things often. And there's a reason I don't do them often because I need to feel a personal connection with someone before I just start talking to them because I, I don't really trust the internet too well. You know what I mean? Like if someone reaches out on the internet and they say, Hey, would you like to jump on my podcast? Like I'm usually like, let me dig a little bit and find out who this person is. Cause you could just come here and just, you could troll me. You could have brought me here and then just been like, yeah, you're a little mugger. But then I checked you out and I saw some of the stuff you was doing and I, I was Man, really, still don't really follow great. me though. Do I not? Nah, bro. Oh, this bro, is bro. getting this is getting cut up. So like <laughs> there's gonna be like sorry. Brother, I'm okay, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. I'm I'll get off this and I'm gonna follow you straight away. I promise. Nah, don't worry about it, man. But I checked. Do you know what? I was watching. I was watching some of your seminars and your classes and the things mm. you were saying, and I was so like on. I was just like riding. I was like, yes, go on, bro. Yeah, bro. But it's, it's the same as you, man. I'm just on a, on a journey, and I'm still trying to discover my myself and my message. And there's one thing that sometimes for me, it's hard to portray it is when you're on like YouTube and stuff, but I tell you something I think is similar to you. Um, when I step up on stage and do what I do, I'm just, it's a, it's a different kind of level and people can feel it. And especially in the UK, if you say stuff, you're like, oh, that's corny, man, cliche, da, 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 da. But when it comes from the heart, people feel it. And I mean, kids and teenagers, they're ruthless. So they, they yeah. rip you apart and they're, and they're honest, you. It's a nerve wracking thing, man. Just walking up in somewhere and just talking like oh. this is this was nervous for me. Yeah. Like talking is it's this difficult thing, man. And and to lay it out on the line and go and do that, like respect to you, sir. Like mad respect. You have but to. Yeah, bro. Thank you for having me, man. It's only, the, it's only the start, right? Because we've been through stuff a lot of teenagers are going through. I mean, bro, I've worked with the most vulnerable teenagers in the UK, people who have been through abuse, sexual abuse, people who are, you know, you name it. I've, I work with them and, it, and it's difficult, man. It really yeah. is difficult. And sometimes you're trying to carry, carry them through and it's all about a path, isn't it? And I yeah. think why, why I listen to your music and it's similar to why I listen to J. Cole really in America, but a lot of his kind of older stuff, um, especially his kind of first mixtapes and stuff, is just because it's that journey and there's something to relate to and something you can reflect on. Even if you can't reflect to 100% of it, there's still going to be 60, 70% of it you can. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I have, I have been through that situation you've been through, but even like, as we said there, looking up to the sky, like, bro, I remember there's times like when, Man's been ready to do it all in. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It's hard, man. It's hard. Quick though, you you missed the question though, bro. How much was how how much was the bill from Greece? It was too much, man. It was too much. But it was a load. Of, it was a lot of like individual things. So I don't even want to look back at it and <laughs> add it all up. I don't even want to do that. Like I have a weird relationship with money. Like it comes and I'm like, yo, where did this come from? Yeah, Let's spend it. <laughs> I'm the same. And then I, I go and spend it and I, and it just gives me the motivation to get it back because it's gone. And then I'm like, yo, it's all gone. Oh my God, I got gay again. Mm. But the thing is, like, since I've detached myself with the relationship with money, like, I've seemed to have found it easier to get it since I've become less, like, money-orientated. Got you. You know what I mean? 
Amen. But then a part of me does understand the financials and the business and the freedom that comes with it. And I do like to help where I can with who I can. And a lot of that money I was spending, like it was just really spent on keeping me and my girl safe. So mm. I would spend it a million times over. Yeah, definitely. But I don't know all in all, like if you want me a round figure, like it's probably close to like £10,000 <sighs> for that whole trip, that whole holiday. Probably cost about £10,000. <laughs> <laughs> right, listen, I'm going to wrap it up. Then I'm going to stop recording. We can just catch up after that. So I just want to quickly say, guys, thank you for another episode of the Dreams Reality podcast. You know, in life, there's two tables. There's one table full of excuses and there's another table full of results. You can sit on one table, but you cannot sit on both. Make sure you check this out. Comment, like, share, do all the good stuff. And I will see you all very soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, bro.